Welcome to Animal Cafe, where you'll hear weekly interviews with experts and enthusiasts working to better the lives of animals, and a monthly segment reviewing fun, fabulous, and useful products for your pets. Check our website, animalcafe.co, for more. Thanks for joining us today. This is Mary Haight, Animal Cafe's animal welfare correspondent, and we're here today with Deborah Howard, who in 1992 founded the Companion Animal Protection Society, better known as CAPS. CAPS is the only national nonprofit organization dedicated exclusively to protecting companion animals from cruelty in pet shops and puppy mills. CAPS actively addresses the abuse and suffering of pet shop and puppy mill dogs through investigations, education, media relations, legislative involvement, puppy mill dog rescues, consumer assistance, and pet industry employee relations. Welcome, Deborah. Hi. Uh, how did uh, CAPS get started? I walked into a Dr. Pet Center, which was a chain of 300 franchises in 1989 in Atlanta. And I was just shocked by the conditions. Filthy cages. Uh, one dog in particular really made an impression on, on me. It was a Labrador puppy with a cut in its leg that it kept pressing right up against the grate of the cages. And I took the dog out, and uh, they put me in the little room. And, and I mean, it, it, it seemed like there were a lot of dogs there with, with bloody diarrhea. Oh. And um, the cages were really small. And so I decided to find out where the dogs came from. And once I found out about puppy mills, there was no turning back. Mm -hmm. uh, so then at that time, I have a law degree. At that time, I, I had a PR agency, and I approached 2020 about doing a story. Mm -hmm. And they had been thinking about doing one. Um, and I was in an, an animal rights group in Atlanta at that time. Um, and one of the members, a young man, Ted, worked at one of the doctor pet centers in Atlanta and he wasn't working there undercover. He just worked there because he felt sorry for the dogs and wanted to help them. So he agreed to go undercover and I provided him with a video camera and uh, he started documenting the conditions at, the, at one of the doctor pet centers in Atlanta. Um, they were all over the country uh, and would come in in the mornings and find dogs that had died of parvovirus, which is a very deadly disease. Um, there, he got access to a lot of medical records and um, shipping records. Mm -hmm. And um, then I, I joined forces with Bob Baker, who was then the chief investigator with the Humane Society of the United States. And uh, we did this, the story with 2020. But it didn't stop there. Um, I, used, <laughs> I used my advocacy skills. I, I grew up working in political campaigns. And well, that's helpful. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had no choice. My, my mother took me <laughs> to campaign offices and it made me go door to door and stopping envelopes and going to rallies. And, and, then, uh, and then I did some work for the United Farm Workers. When I was still in high school, I was, I was an unofficial organizer. They wanted to hire me, but I was still in school. So my mother told me, no, I'm sorry, she can't do this. Um, <laughs> so I took those skills, and I decided I was going to work from PETA of, of grassroots groups across the country, and I organized a protest in 30 cities against Dr. Pet Center. Of course, they didn't know what it hit them because they thought PETA was behind it. Um, this isn't one of PETA's issues. 
And it really never has been. I mean, you know, they might have some information on their website, but the pet shops and puppy mills are, are not one of their issues. So I decided to take it on as my own. So we did this protest in 30 cities. Um, it had quite an impact. And that was, uh, let's see, the Dr. Pet Center story on 2028 aired in May. Of, I walked into that pet shop in November of 1981. The 2020 story aired in May of 1990. Um, wow. We did a follow-up, and then I did a protest um, in December of 90. I did another protest in December of 91, and this time we included um, not just doctor, but any pet shops. And so we expanded to Canada. So we had a lot of great Canadian groups, too. We had about 40 cities that year. And, doc- and then uh, the producer at 2020 said, I want to air a follow-up story. So we aired a follow-up story the night before the protest. That did a lot of damage. Um, they had a new CEO, and they were trying to claim that they visited these places. And, of course, we had very damaging evidence because Bob Baker was going into the puppy mills and, and showing mm-hmm. the violations. Um, so I continued this. I, I generated stories with People Magazine and Life Magazine. And um, people we had, by this time, we were starting to get consumer complaints. So it featured one of our complainants. And... Uh, and it also featured Dr. Pet Center, and we just kept doing the protests. Um, so we did protests in 91, 92, 90, 91, 92, 93. Um, but by February of 1993, Dr. Pet Center, which was down to about 110 stores, went bankrupt. So that was the end of the chain. Hmm. And then, of course, I started. See, I was really actually running CAPS this whole time. It just wasn't official. Um but, it, you know, then I incorporated it and it became a 501c3 in 92. But I actually started doing this work in late 89. So that's that's the history. That's how we started. That's a pretty amazing story. Um, I, I really it, it's just wonderful that you were so prepared. Um. <laughs> I don't know how prepared it is. I'm just sitting for one to two in the morning sending out packets to all these grassroots <laughs> And um, cajoling them into doing these protests. And then some cities had two groups that didn't get along and wouldn't cooperate long enough to do one protest. Oh, boy. And trying to appease everybody. And then we would send these activists into the stores to gather breeder names for us so that Bob could investigate them. Um, so, and so it really Bob was like hurting, hurting cats for you, this organizing <laughs> all of this. <laughs> And although Bob was with the Humane Society, they, they weren't backing him on it. It was, it, it was really sad. They had a terrible PR department. He had to go out and get his own publicity. He was getting tired of it. HSUS wasn't really devoting any resources to this. Yeah. So he was turning over everything to us. Um, and then once we started CAPS, um, Bob came and joined us for a while. Um, he was our vice president, our board member, and our first investigator. Um, and then, of course, we moved on. You know, we knocked out Dr. Pet Center, so we moved on to other issues. Uh, then we decided we'd take on AKC and USDA. And um, Let me just touch on, on USDA because we, we started investigating USDA. And then because um, what we do that's different from anybody else is we actually go into the facilities and we document Animal Welfare Act violations. So these federally licensed facilities that are, are inspected by USDA, the ones that sell to pet shops, have, of course, gross, these are the puppy mills, have gross violations that aren't properly documented by USDA inspectors, some of whom are veterinarians. Um, so then we, um, you know, we tried to get the attention of Congress, um, you know, without any success. And, and then I, we did the story with Dateline, and um, we got the services of Carl and Mooring, which is a huge law firm in 
Washington, D.C., and they offer pro bono lobbying. So I started to go to Washington, and we tried to get oversight hearings. So we would document the violations on the reports, um, shoot undercover footage photographs, and compare our findings to those of the USDA inspectors to show they weren't doing their job. Right. We even followed, we even followed USDA inspectors. <laughs> so some of them were using their government vehicle to run personal errands, and some of them weren't going to work, and some were working half days. And wow. um, But, of course, we turned all this over, and, and they, nobody was interested in that either. Um, you know, that, that was, has been our focus for a long time. But then, then we started to go back to doing the protests again, um, but just keying in on specific uh, cities. And Carol Davis joined us in, as our West Coast director. That's when we became really involved in California. Mm-hmm. and started uh, doing the protests at BarkWorks. Um, I'm trying to think. About, what, right? about when, when was that? When did mm-hmm. that I think it was in 2008, um, but it, before BarkWorks, she, she was doing other stores for us. Um, Carol, Carol really was the one that developed the humane store model, um, and so we, we were protesting other stores in L.A. that we converted to humane stores, uh, Aquarium and Pet Center, which has, just recently gone back to selling puppy mill dogs again, so we're going to have to protest there again in, in Santa Monica. Um, and Pet Depot, which was a national chain, um, but we converted one of their stores in L.A., and then the whole chain decided to, not all of the stores sold puppies, but some of them did. So the whole chain in the United States and Canada went humane. Um, there were a couple other stores. Um, there was Then we were doing um, elite, um, elite, what is it, elite animals, um, that was the pet shop in West Hollywood that had sold to Arnold Schwarzenegger, had a photo of it, and they had bought from the Wentzmans, a horrible, horrible breeder broker in Minnesota we had investigated twice. And that's, um, and at that point, that's when the city of West Hollywood was really shocked by what they saw and decided they would work with us on the ordinance to ban the sale of pet shop puppies and kittens. Um, so this was, this was right around the time, I think, that we, this is actually probably before we started protesting Barkwork, because it all kind of came together at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got the city of West Hollywood to pass this ordinance. Now, there had been, there had been an ordinance in Albuquerque, but no one really even knew about it. Um, and West Hollywood was really, because of it being West Hollywood, um, got news all over the world. And that's really what got this whole ordinance movement started. Pretty soon we're getting calls from Canada and other parts of the United States, and everybody wants to pass ordinances banning pet shops that sell puppies and kittens. Um, you know, and since that time, we, we got an ordinance passed in, in Glendale, which had a pet shop that bought from the Hunt Corporation. Um, and we had worked six months undercover at Hunt Corporation. It was supposed to be on an HBO documentary that never took place. We've investigated a number of their breeders. Um, you know, they're the largest broker in the country. So then we, Carol decided we should take on BarkWorks because it's the largest chain in L.A. And she said, but, you know, we can't protest inside a mall. And I used my law degree and I, I researched the law. And, and in fact, it, the laws in California are very different. Um, they're very broad. They're uh, much more expansive than, than the federal constitution. So actually, California law, and, and this actually one of the California cases went up to the U.S. Supreme Court, which interpreted the California law. You are allowed to protest inside a mall, inside a shopping center, um, because they consider a, a shopping center or a mall to be a de facto public meeting place, even though it's mm-hmm. private property. It's where people congregate. They say, well, people don't congregate in, in mall, in, in parks anymore. You know, they congregate inside a shopping mall. Um, 
but we had some really good case law. I mean, we had people that had, you know, leafleted during Vietnam in, in the train station in, in L.A., and that had been allowed, and, um, you know, kids uh, that had tabled in an out, outside shopping center. So I, we ran this by um, the city attorney in L.A., uh, worked very closely with the police department, and, of course, the mall security was threatening to arrest us. And uh, we stood our ground because we knew the case law protected us, and we went out there, and I think the first protest had, I don't even know, well over 100 people. Um, and we've done several protests there, and then also at the Bark Works in Thousand Oaks, um, and one at Mission Viejo. Um, they had six, I think, wait, see, they have seven, now they're down to six locations. So that's how that started, and it was really impressive. I mean, one time we had 60 inner-city school kids participating, um, I think our largest indoor mall purchase was 130 people. Cause, so can you imagine that many people walking through a shopping center all wearing red shirts and carrying yeah. shopping bags? We don't carry signs. We carry shopping bags with slogans. Yeah, and, you know, it's interesting. The first time we did it, and we said this is the first time any animal rights group has ever protested inside a shopping center. I mean, it's not every day that you see big, huge protests with, like, over 100 people inside a shopping center. Oh, you don't. Yeah, I mean, we got one one TV station to come out, and they didn't even, they didn't even realize the significance of this. I said, "This is historical." We had one TV station come out, and they didn't even run the story. <laughs> yeah, I, I know the the silence can be deafening sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's Barkworks, and um, what really sets us apart is we have great investigative evidence, and it and it supports everything that we do. Yeah, our protests, our, our efforts in Washington, D.C. Um, you know, we're behind the um, OIG report, the Office of Inspector General report. Um, the only reason they agreed to meet with us is because of our reports. They don't meet with outside organizations, but because we go into the facilities and actually document violations like they would if they were doing an investigation. Um, they met with us, and we made a series of recommendations. We met for two hours. Um, they went through all of our reports that we've been circulating in Washington. And then, unbeknownst to us, because they're very quiet about it, they did an audit and investigation. And the very scathing 69-page report came out in May of 2010. And we had met with them in uh, May of 2006. So the whole thing took four years. Um, it's very damaging against USDA. And uh, I'll be meeting with USDA in the next month or so to discuss how they're going to implement these recommended changes doing some of them already. They're very slow, of course. Yeah, um, it's, it's amazing how slow it is. And until I met up with Ida McCarthy, who's our Chicago campaign coordinator, and um, we started sponsoring the protest at Happiness with Pets, um, a law firm approached us and asked if um, we would be interested in, in working with them in a lawsuit. Um, and Ida said, well, Happiness is Pets. <laughs> um, so uh, that's... But we we kind of we didn't have that many complainants, and then all of a sudden this this temper outbreak happened, and then people were just coming out of the woodwork, um, and that's how the lawsuit came about. And then of course, as we published the distemper stories, um, Humane Society was gathering some complaints. We were gathering some complaints, um, and then other people came forward who just had sick puppies but didn't have dogs with distemper. Um, so then the lawsuit was filed, and more people are coming forward every single day. So I want to encourage people, yes, if they bought a sick puppy from Happiness Pets, go to our website where we have an online complaint form, um, you know, caps-web.org, and fill it out. And then con there's information there on how to go to hold of the law firm, or we can put you in touch with the law firm. And there's no lemon law in Illinois. 
that's another reason they're still around. There's no lemon loss. So they, they don't have any financial repercussions when they sell a sick puppy. They're not re- required by law to reimburse the customers for veterinary bills. Yeah, it seems a lot of these uh, pet shops are very much in with the uh, legislators. Right, right. Well, that's something that needs to be changed. Illinois is a key pet shop state, and it needs to be changed. Um, it needs to be changed in Michigan. That's another key pet shop state. We did. We were doing a lot of work there a few years ago. Um, they need to. I actually had helped draft a lemon law for the state representative, who's now the state senator, but he's watered the bill down considerably. I, I don't. I don't know what's going to happen with that. I know Pam was working on it with him. Um, but some of these key pet shop states don't have lemon laws. Um, some of some of, some of New York has one. It's kind of confusingly written. I, I'm going to try to get some changes to that. Um, the other key states are New Jersey and Florida and California and Massachusetts. Massachusetts does not have a lemon law. Well, listen, can you just uh, give us your contact information so people can reach you and follow you and uh, connect with CAPS? Uh, so they can put it on their own social media outlets. Oh, um, okay. So we have caps-web.org. Um, we're on we're on Facebook. Um, there's a number. Um, I have a fan page under my name, um, and I, I think it's facebook.com caps president. And uh, we have the Facebook group page, Companion Animal Protection Society. Um, we have Facebook group pages for Companion Animal Protection Society Chicago, Companion Animal Protection Society San Diego, and now Happiness is Pets Lawsuit has a Facebook group page. Oh. Um, and we're on Twitter. Um, I think it's Caps Web. <laughs> Thank you so much, Deborah, for taking time out of your busy <laughs> schedule to talk with us. Uh- That's all for today from Animal Cafe. Thanks for listening. 